Okay. I think there may be a few people out in the hallway yet, but we'll go ahead and get started. <clears throat> we'll start with prayer. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege of being able to be here, study your word. Thank you, Lord, that you've written down everything we need to know in a book and given it to us, preserved it, and we have the privilege of access to it. Bless it to our hearts, I pray, uh, and minds tonight, that we might be illuminated and instructed. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> um, let's see, it's been two weeks since we were here because we um, weren't here last week for weather. Any... <clears throat> um, any lingering flood questions? Um, I think that's where we ended. Um, did I mention, I don't even need, know if, I'll ask you if I mentioned this, but I don't know if it's that important. But um, <clears throat> did I say anything about uniformitarianism and catastrophism? Okay. Because then, then that's where we quit. Um, <clears throat> chapter 9 then is um, where we'll begin and we really have there's a couple of different ways we can sum up the sections of chapter 9 first um, really passages 1 verse 1 through 17 um, <clears throat> And this is when Noah gets off uh, of the ark. And really, one through, um, well, it'd be one almost through 17, is what's called the um, Noahic covenant. There's an Adamic covenant, a covenant that the Lord made with Adam and Eve, um, which involved the provision and prohibition. Really, the prohibition was simply don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and that covenant <clears throat> obviously was broken by um, Adam and Eve. Things declined to such a degree the depravity was of such a um, state um, of, of just utter corruption that God brings the flood. After the flood and everyone other than the eight of the family of Noah are gone, <clears throat> then God establishes or we could say reestablishes a covenant with Noah with a few additions to it. And that's much of what we find in those first few verses of 9. Um, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That is a portion of the covenant with, between God, man, and earth that is 
a reestablishment or a repetition of the Adamic covenant. He told them, multiply and, and so forth. So um, <clears throat> there's nothing new there. This was their um, now repopulation of the earth because everyone was gone, but these eight. Now here's some things new. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the air with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are given. Every moving thing, now we'll quit uh, with two. This is new. Verse two. There's a couple things um, implied here that and some of this, I, I'm, I don't know all that has changed, okay? But obviously, it seems that the environment has changed. It seems that, um, not that laws of physics have changed, but it does seem that the, we have a new climate we're dealing with. Um, there's a lot of things that are, were completely um, gone through an upheaval and so there's some new things here. The superintendency over animals under the Adamic covenant was, you could say, I think, um, accurately, it was a covenant of love, meaning you, they tended to their animals and they tilled the garden and so forth. But there was no, um, initially there was no fear between animals and Adam. Um, there, it was not a situation where they would become prey, the humans, and animals would be predators. But now that has changed. So that God has to assure Adam and this is a, in the form of a promise that um, because they would be outnumbered, among other things, but that they will not, they will, I will make sure that they fear you so that you won't be um, eliminated by them. And that would introduce then a whole new way um, even if if you're farming or whatever you're doing the that would grow up in humanity as they repopulated the earth both animals and people um, all the rules were different whatever um, began with Adam was was different at what point that occurred I don't know other than it's first mentioned here as a is something that's not been mentioned before. And I'm going, to give, I'm going to give all the animals fear of you so that it will be, you won't be a prey to them, but also in your management of them, um, you will have the advantage. Okay? I don't understand all that, but that's something that is never mentioned until now. Then, 
the third verse is something new. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as, as I gave the green plant. So remember, with Adam, he said, all of the plants shall be food to you. The fruit trees, and so forth. That will be your food. And it apparent, well, he also, it was food for all of the animals. And so this is now something else that is different um, in the post-flood world. They had not, um, they had not eaten animals prior, and <clears throat> which reminds me, for one thing, um, this is, it doesn't hold any water with the world. They don't care what the Bible says. But for those of us who receive Scripture as God's Word, this is endorsement. If you want to be a vegan, I guess we can put up with you. Um, but um, it is permissible by God um, to eat meat. Now, you know, I haven't been out to Oregon for maybe two or three years, but every time I'd go back out there, plus growing up out there, but um, you'd see these bumper stickers, meat is murder. <laughs> um, and so, you know, when at the back door, people will, wives will say, you know, my husband's out here, he's out hunting elk, you know, okay, he's, he's a murderer. Um, and I suppose you're an accessory to murder if you eat it. Um, so um, God didn't think that way. And I think, even though I'm not certain what, but there must have been, in a dietary sense, something lacking now in this new atmosphere post-flood that the diet was insufficient if it was only plants so that he adds meat to the diet, okay? Um, that's something never mentioned before. So this is a new um, practice. Then you have along with this, because flesh had not been eaten before, you have this further prohibition. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Okay? <clears throat> now, what is, what's that all about? What exactly is, what, what's he saying there and why? I think one thing, he's talking about raw, uncooked, but he's also specifically um, giving direction that in preparation of meat, and this is where you get into today's world, uh, kosher. Um, 
the blood has to be drained in a certain, in many ways, ritual uh, way of um, draining the blood out of the animal. Um, so they were not to be eaten without the blood being drained. Plus, I think to eating, eating blood, period, was prohibited. Okay? Now, um, the best I can offer as a reason for that, because this, is held, this holds through all through Judaism, all through um, clear up until the dietary laws were fulfilled and Jesus said everything is cleansed and so forth and no longer uh, do you have to keep these. The sacrificial system was ended though they still practiced it. In Christ it was fulfilled. So we're no longer under a, a blood offering animal slaying kind of salvation. Okay, uh, Jesus died once for all. Now, um, in this <clears throat> new prohibition, um, I assume, I guess, there may be some dietary things. A lot of the things that God told the Israelites um, in the dietary laws, we'll call them, and I think rightly so, ceremonial law, but they were merely good good health laws they may not have known why but they were they were it's a better diet so that to me would be a side benefit of what god commanded the people of israel and the issue here too would be um you know some of the things he told later some of the things he made clear that i think are there in, inferred by him talking about clean animals and unclean and all that and that became much more complex I wouldn't have to be told not to eat a mouse <laughs> you know what I mean I don't need God's commandment you know <laughs> that's it for eating mice you knock that off um, I, I, I don't have any problem avoiding mice um, and you know all of the different kinds of fish that they were to avoid. You know, they were to only eat what had scales and fins. That means, that's why, though I would just love to, you know, go to different places and eat catfish, I, I refrain because it's, they're unclean, okay? Um, I, I, it's a horrible sacrifice for me to make, but I have to stay away from catfish. Um, God, then, some of these laws, you know, maybe not more than some, were just um, health-wise a benefit, okay? Now, the main reason, he says, don't eat blood or raw meat without draining the meat after you've killed an animal is... He says here, so there's a hint here. He says, the life is in the blood. The blood is the life. That God owns. All life, both if you want to call animal life and then, of course, spiritual life, 
is from God. And he said that, for then especially, was reserved for atonement and for offerings. And it was not to be, it was to be regarded as God's. And a bit later, the ritual of pouring it out on the earth and not eating, drinking it, or um, pouring it on the altar, or sprinkling it mixed with water on individuals signifying that they were cleansed by a blood offering. So the prohibition here against um, eating blood is because it's the life and God owns it. And it is, it is the atonement for sin. Okay? Now, a further thing, of course, that he didn't mention, at least, under the Adamic covenant is verse 5. Surely I will require your lifeblood from every beast I will require it, and from every man, from every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. There's two or three things here. One, if <clears throat> it seems in five that if an animal takes the life of a human, the animal is put to death. Okay? Now, we... We still do that today. That isn't unusual. Okay. Then he says, and from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. So, first of all, if a man kills a man, and he clear, he's more clear in the next verse, but if a man kills a man, the killer forfeits his life and he institutes here the early judicial system which was that the next of kin of the murdered person was to carry out the penalty on the killer. You don't have yet um, a complex social system of laws and so forth. And of course we know this held true um, well into Israel. I just am, I'm reading through um, Joshua, just finished Joshua and, and reading Judges in my daily reading. Um, and they're just conquering Canaan and they're setting aside three cities on the west side of the Jordan River in the middle of Israel, three cities on the east side where two and a half tribes are living, and those were called the cities of refuge. And if you accidentally killed someone, in other words, um, you know, and he says, you did not hate him previously, uh, there was no plot, and then God even gave an illustration. He says, it's like this. You're in the woods, you're chopping wood with your neighbor, 
the axe head flies off of the handle, strikes your neighbor, and he dies. You are to flee, can, flee to a city of refuge, and you declare your case, and they let you come in, and they save you from the, the neighbor who was killed with the axe head, from his next of kin who's pursuing you to kill you because you killed his relative, okay? You stay to, you enter into the city of refuge, you go to the nearest one where your tribe is, and you have to stay there. If you leave voluntarily, if you leave and wander around, and the avenging member of the family finds you, they can execute you. They are not guilty because you left the city of refuge. Okay? One other thing. You had to stay in the city of refuge until the death of the current high priest. Now this again is not here, but it's later when under the Mosaic Covenant. But you had to stay there until the death of the high priest. Then um, you could return home. And if the avenger sought you and killed you, I don't know that this would you know, um, make things a whole lot better, but at least he was then guilty of murder and he would be put to death. Okay? Um, so he establishes here the death penalty for murder, not for involuntary, you know, for what we would maybe call man's, uh, manslaughter, um, but for premeditated murder, even uh, murder, we would call it today maybe second degree. You didn't mean to, uh, you didn't plot ahead of times, but you. you went into a fit of rage and killed somebody. Um, the death penalty was to be carried out and it was, it was the job of the family's next of kin to do it. Okay? Now, <clears throat> um, then he also gives us the reason. Um, and the reason here, I can remember... Um, well, Oregon several times banished the death penalty, brought it back in, banished it again, um, and I'm sure don't have it anymore. Um, but you'd always have uh, upheaval when the vote on Oregon is a rec what do they call it? Well, they had recall, but the other thing was you could get a you could get stuff on the ballot. Um, by the citizens didn't have to you could make legislative changes and new laws or suspend old laws or whatever by um, just the ballot okay but anyway <clears throat> um, that was seesaw um, back and forth and I can remember the arguments were that excessive which never happened, but excessive use of the death penalty cheapens life was uh, an argument for banishing the death penalty. 
this verse is opposite of that. God said that the value of a human life because made in the image and likeness of God is so high, the value is so high that it calls for the death penalty. So the death penalty establishes the value of life rather than cheapening it, okay? Because of who we are. We're made in God's image. It's that heinous of a crime, okay? Now, <clears throat> I'm not here. When we get down with first 11 chapters of Genesis, we'll go into Christian ethics and so forth, and that kind of, the death penalty and all that will get discussed then, okay? So I don't want some... We don't need <clears throat> to get off on that um, uh, t today. But at any rate, so God, this is a new thing, at least that he verbalizes, that there's the death penalty for taking, um, taking a life. Then he repeats in seven, that they be fruitful, multiply, populate the earth abundantly, and multiply in it. <clears throat> then... God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, Now, behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that's with you, birds, cattle, every beast, all that comes out of the ark, even every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you and all flesh, shall, that all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of a flood, neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. And this... It goes to uh, 17, but it's the rainbow. He says, I set my bow, the rainbow, in the heavens. And when I, he says, when I cause a cloud to pass over the sky, then the bow, the rainbow, will be seen. And he says, I will look at it as well as us looking at it and saying that is God renewing and acknowledging his covenant. Fear not, if, if it rains, that this is the start of another flood. He said, I, I, this is my covenant that he established. So I think, I remember using that a lot with our kids whenever you'd see a rainbow. And you have to have rain to see the rainbow. And in Oregon, there was a rainbow three or four times every single day because that's all it did out there. But at any rate, I, what a teaching opportunity. You know, you you tell the kids, see the rainbow? What is that? You know, um, God's promise that he's not going to flood the earth again. Um, you know, I thought about several things. If you look around in our culture today, I think this, it's significant. How many um, things, even like the rainbow that God set in the skies as a sign of his covenant, things of that sort um, that are twisted and perverted and adapted um, to evil purposes every time you see the rainbow 
Um, now, I still happen to think of God. <laughs> you know, I look and I see the rainbow and I'm reminded that's God's perpetual word. He'll never depart from it. He's once again telling us, I'm, I remember my covenant. But of course, now it's the rainbow flag. And so the evil co-ops significant symbols of God and turns it and perverts it. I was thinking of, <clears throat> this is a little, <clears throat> little different, but still it was an appropriation. Well, here's, what do we do with Christmas? <laughs> um, you know, it's Santa Claus and the elves and, and you know, I don't believe that you're going to, you know, if you celebrate Santa Claus coming down the chimney and all that, you're going to, you and all your kids are going to hell. Um, I, I don't think that's the case. Um, but that's co-opted. We have turned, we have turned that holy season. Um, it's, it's been hijacked by the world and now the symbol is you know good old saint nick and you know the reindeer and all kind all that stuff same thing with easter it's a buck bunny rabbit um that's the symbol of easter the resurrection of jesus from the dead securing atonement for our souls what in the world um but you know it's um colored eggs and a bunny rabbit the, the world is always adopting and hijacking. Ha hijacking. Um, the illustration I was going to give you, which honestly, I, I just was talking to myself and talking to God kind of at the same time. There was a, <clears throat> and I'm kind of getting off here, but you know about the United Methodist Church splitting. Everybody heard about all that. Well, I mean, that split's been going on for 30 years. But uh, at any rate, it's at least now formal. Um, and they are beginning to go their separate ways, either staying United Methodist Church or going into what's called Global Methodist Church. And already there's reports even in secular press and the periodicals that I get that are church periodicals. Um, the United Methodist Church is reneging on the agreements. The agreements were that we're going to be amiable, uh, amicable about all this. And the Methodists, like a lot of denominations, have denominational ownership of property. Um, it means that it's a good thing and a bad thing. If you want to build a building and you need whatever, there are billions of dollars worth of property that the denomination owns that they can co-sign for a, a bank loan and that's it. You're fine. Um, but the problem is if the, if the denomination goes liberal and you, you say, hey, we, we're, we're not, we don't want to do this, we're going to pull out even though you built the building because you raised the money and you're making the mortgage payments on it, it's not your building. And so it's, thank you very much, see ya. Well, the agreement was that they wouldn't do that, that every church could have its own building 
and we'll just sing kumbaya repeatedly and then you'll be fine. Well, there's all kinds of lawsuits and stuff going on all across the country because they're reneging on it and they're making churches pay as much as a million dollars to get out of the denomination. Um, and so things aren't going too well. But there was a church in some place in Georgia which is a bit more conservative in the Methodist denomination. So I'm very shocked at what. But they had just a couple Sundays ago I read in a church, fairly large church, they had a drag, you know, show in the morning service during what they, you know, a lot of churches where they'll have all the little kids come to the front and the pastor tells some little story or whatever. Um, they had that event at that point in their service, but they had a drag queen come in and do whatever he or she or, you know, was going to do. And this was her name, stage name. And I really, I was, I, I was talking to God. I said, Lord, it's a good thing I haven't got the power that you have. I would use it. Her name, you know her stage name? Penny, P-E-N-N-Y, cost. Pentecost, or, you know, the, the, the word Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Penny Cost was her name. Now, there would have been a burnt hole in the roof if, if I, you know, if I got the chance. Um, that's just godless. But that's, that's what the world does with those things that are precious to God and mean to the Christian everything. Anyway, so I'll try to get back on track here. Um, <clears throat> now, here's a couple of things. And if people here that would know more, I guess, just like high school science, maybe you can help me out here. Um, there is a, I'm taking nothing away from God, obviously. He made everything. But there is a scientific explanation for how light shining through waters a prism separates into its, you know, its colors, okay? That's one thought I have wondered a long time. Whether, um, you know, there's a hint early on in the creation story that there was no rain, you know, it says there was no rain, mist, you know, um, went up from the earth and so forth. And so I'm wondering <clears throat> if, because if, if there had been rain like post-flood there was, people would have seen a rainbow. I don't know that it would have had any significance. But I think it might be a little piece of evidence that there was no rain for all that time till the flood. And then God used the fact that there would be rain and sunlight and the rainbow and he's, that is, that's what he, they saw for the first time. Which would also 
maybe indicate the, the, the social current that Noah had to go against. Not only did, is he building a massive 900 foot or no 450 foot long boat in his backyard I mean that's got to be the talk of the the homeowners association meetings and then so that's crazy enough then he says that God is going to send rain and flood the earth that would be another thing if they never had that that he would be completely crazy and he had to endure that for 120 years of people I'm sure they did tours and went by his house um, and saw him and his three sons working on this boat it would be everywhere this crazy guy anyway um, maybe one more thing that is is go, going back to the new dietary permission that God gave them to now eat meat. Something occurred after the flood drastic, drastically enough that, with, that I think God was responding to when he beefed up, and that's an unintended pun, but he beefed up their, di their diet. Because as soon as the flood, you know, Moses or Noah gets off and they, you know, life comes back to normalcy, um, the ages plummeted. Now, Noah lived to be 950 years, but everyone else in rapid succession lived less and less and less and less till you get down, um, you know, to Abraham. <clears throat> 175 years old, which to us, of course, is you know, beyond our ability to think of. But he would have lived, you know, um, an eight. Uh, it, it was not something changed, okay? So um, that, I think, leads us to the next passage, okay? Um, and you have, starting in 18, the naming of the sons of Noah, again, repeated. They came out of the ark, Shem and Ham and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. So, every single one of us are today descendants of either and of course there's been a lot of intermingling but every single one of us today are descendants either of Shem, Ham or Japheth okay now um, from Shem came the Semites which included Israel um, Ham is a massive amount the Middle East, um, the um, Africans, the Egyptians, um, there, much of um, <clears throat> that entire world were of Canaan, 
including Palestine that Israel conquered and so forth. Japheth is basically Europeans. And even further east, um, Asian. Okay? So, um, you have this little um, projection of where these, where all the nations of the earth uh, were descended. Now, um, by the way, it'll show up at the bottom near, near the end of chapter 9. But <clears throat> by most people, most people believe Japheth was the eldest son and Shem was second and Ham was third age-wise because um, well you get down to verse 27 may God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem uh, let Canaan be his servant um, let's see here well and then you go on to 10 you have this again. These are records of the generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah. Sons were born to them after the flood. Um, in, in here, in this several times repetition of these um, genealogies, there is in some um, Bibles, and I don't know if I've got a, you know, um, footnotes and I don't see it right off the bat here but it talks about there's a translation of Japheth he's called Japheth the elder so the assumption is Japheth was the, the oldest the firstborn then Shem then Ham okay now that's not a huge deal but <clears throat> um, you have then the situation beginning in verse and I think this whole thing might be related to the change in environment, climate, atmosphere, a bunch of things. Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. We'll stop just for a second there. Now, there are a lot of people, I, I've heard people, be highly critical of Noah, accuse him of hypocrisy and all, you know, what he's supposed to be. Uh, well, earlier it says Noah was perfect in his generations and he found grace with God. Yet, they'll say, point to this as, you know, uh, what, what kind of a stunt is this? Um, I think, number one, there was, again, something different in everything. Growth season, fermentation time, all, the, everything was different, okay? So I don't find fault with Noah. There's no record that he ever repeated it again. Um, Ham got, got nailed, and we'll see it here in a second, for... Uh, obviously being um, using it for humor or levity or you know disrespect um, 
nor does God rebuke Noah. There's no record of him rebuking Noah for being a drunk, okay? Um, <clears throat> so, but everybody who wants to, you know, uh, years and years and years ago, there was um, his name now. I can't even remember. Um, it's been... Who was the guy? Um, Nicky, no, was it Nicky? Um, he, he was maybe some, I'm looking for white-haired people. Um, he was a famous evangelist. The, he wrote The Cross and the Switchblade. Yeah, okay. He, he had a famous sermon called Sipping Saints. Okay, and he was he was preaching against um, the then in the '60s, whenever um, the the easing of denominational and church membership rules um, about um, drinking, and that he was alarmed to see that um, every sipping saint <laughs> knows about Noah. They make sure they know about Noah, okay? They also make sure that they know about Timothy. Take a little wine for thy stomach's sake. Anyway, um, I don't know exactly what went on here, but Ham apparently discovers Noah in this state. He, instead of, I don't know what he, what he thought, but he goes out and it's a very apparent that he was joking about it. He was ridiculing Noah uh, to Shem and Japheth. Shem and Japheth take a blanket, go in backwards, cover him. And then when you find uh, in verse 24, Noah awoke from his wine. He knew what his youngest son had done to him as far as ridiculing him. So he said, <clears throat> cursed be Canaan. Now, I'm thinking, and you would probably think too, Ham's the one that did this. Um, why does he name Canaan? Well, part of it is it's, it's Ham and all of his progeny, all of his descendants. Canaan was apparently, even though we see in the record, Canaan was um, apparently his youngest. But he is singled out as emblem an emblem of the ongoing descendants of ham for this curse cursed be canaan a servant of servants he shall be to his brothers a servant of servants meant lowest servant on the on the rung uh, you know on the ladder okay um, he would be the lowest caste of slaves he also said, 26, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. Noah lived 350 years after the flood. All of his days were 950 years and he died. Okay. Now, <clears throat> there are... There are cases, I believe, where God pronounces some kind of, he pronounces a curse, uh, he pronounces a punishment, 
on a family, a line. And I, I don't know quite how to explain this. It's what's going to be. It's what seems to often be the case of that lineage. But it doesn't mean that we should partake in making it true. Okay? Let me go on and say maybe what I mean will be clearer. This passage was for centuries used in Western civilizations, specifically um, the um, English and American slave trade as justification for enslaving the descendants of Ham, which are one of them, not all, but one stream of that, those descendants of Ham <coughs> were Africans. So this was used um, as justification for slavery because, well, God, it goes back to them, God cursed them, and that, so that's just the way it is. Um, that's not legitimate. Um, what God permitted in a lot of different situations, I can't pass judgment on, obviously, and sometimes uh, we can't explain it, but um, that's up to God. Um, nevertheless, <clears throat> this was misused um, during the days, especially of uh, English and American slave trade, um, as a basis for no condemnation because we're only following through on the curse that God put on them anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. But obviously there's something different about the way God acted I would think so. If you didn't hear um <coughs> Tyler, it's um you know there were there were some of these kinds of prophecies were they in many cases, uh, fulfilled, done away with in the New Testament? I would say yes. Um, because Paul in the New Testament is the middle wall of partition between the Gentiles and the Jews is torn down. And in his sermon on um, Mars Hill in Athens, he, he said God has made of one blood all nations for to dwell on the earth, okay? Um, so, uh, now I really could get way off, but, except I'll preface it by saying I don't know for sure, so. But personally, I, 
I don't buy into and I don't like the um, labeling that I'm a Messianic Jew. Hey, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I, am a, I am a Jewish Christian. Well, okay, I, I'm Irish Christian and Welsh. Morgan's a good Welsh coal miner name. Okay, so I'm a Welsh Christian, I'll have you know. Um, that is done. There is nothing, I think, I think, and here's where I don't know for sure, I think that the promises of God for the land of Palestine, he said, it's, I'll make, it's yours forever. Forever, I think, means forever. But as far as the spiritual people of God, I don't believe that at all. They'll come to God through Jesus like everybody else. Um, and <clears throat> Paul, again, talks about the Israel of God and says those who are in Christ are the true Israel. And that the, the old Israel under the old covenant, <clears throat> which was to give way to Christ, which by and large the Jewish nation refused to do, they then, um, they cut themselves out of the tree. He says God's able to graft them in again but they're out. Um, <clears throat> they must come in through faith in Jesus. Okay? So, and now I suppose, you know, my opinion there on this, you know, I'm a Jewish Christian stuff, uh, uh, it's not going to send them to heaven or send them to hell, so I'm not complaining there. But I just don't like it. Because it's, it's an artificial anymore. It's an artificial division. Yeah. It just you reminded me of Romans 9, 6. You know, they are not all Israel. Yeah. That are of Israel. Israel. Right. So, you know, that doesn't, just because you're born from Israel doesn't mean you're Israel. There's something yes. Different. Yeah. And it's like, in, in of course, he makes the whole case, too, that really even the people of ancient Israel were, the, were those who were of faith. So um, <clears throat> that wasn't a new concept, yeah. I think too, even you know, setting a, uh, evidence that demands a verdict. Yeah. It's so interesting talking about how everything follows down to Messiah. A lot of these things, the lineage and all that comes from Japheth and Jesse's house and David's, was an indication of who the Messiah would be. I mean, yeah. funneling down to, there's really no doubt who it could be, and it had to be before the temple was destroyed. So it seems like a lot of those things were to show his people yeah. this is the Messiah. Yeah. All of it, I think, you know, when Paul basically lumps all of the Old Testament together, the prophets, the wisdom literature, ceremonial law, all of that, he said all of this is a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. So everything pointed to Jesus. One, You know, a study that... that um, I've done before, maybe many of you have too, the, the furniture and the traffic pattern, if you want to call it, of the tabernacle and the temple 
is wonderful picture of Jesus. And as, as humans move toward God in the Old Testament tabernacle and temple, um, God opens himself more intimately to us so that you, you, you know, the Holy of Holies was, access was cut off to only the high priest until the veil is rent when Jesus is on the cross. Um, there is just, it's further evidence that everything brings us to Jesus. Okay, um, <clears throat> now, anything else? Any questions or anything? Did I answer that, Tyler? Okay. Read 10, <clears throat> um, 10 and 11, and there's a lot of um, kind of confusing um, <clears throat> genealogies. Now, if you read 10, you'll notice why it's so terribly difficult for, um, you know, full-time Bible commentators that try to trace genealogies, try to come up with the number of years that have passed by, um, it's almost impossible because you'll have a list of, take, take verse 2 of 10. Sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, Tiras. The sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Riftha, Togarma. The sons of Javan, okay, where's he at? Okay, you've got to go back up here to verse 2. But there's no mention of Magog and Madai. Now we go to Javan. Well, what about Magog and Madai? Well, where are their people at? Um, so it's really, really difficult to, to follow um, a lot of this. <clears throat> so anyway... Um, Go ahead and read, though, through the end of 11. And we've got, um, let's see, what's, today's 15th, right? Is that right? No, what, is, what is today? 16th. Okay. Um, so then the next Wednesday is going to be, um, if it's the 23rd, are we here? That's right, so that we're not having it. Okay, so we meet tonight, but we don't meet next Wednesday night because it's the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Okay, then we'll come back for the next Wednesday, which would be um, the 30th, right? So we'll be here the 30th of November, and then we've got two more Wednesdays, I think. So we've got, we've got um, three, three more Wednesdays before we're off for Christmas. So what my goal is, be done with first 11 chapters by our Christmas break. So three more nights. We might not even have enough material to last three nights. But at any rate, that's the goal. Um, then we'll start on um, Christian ethics um, after we come back in January. Um, I think that's 
I don't know what that date is. It's, it's the, I think school starts on a Tuesday or something. I'm not sure. And so anyway, somewhere in the first week of, of January. Hey, by the way, too, let me just mention this. We've got to start announcing this, I guess. But, and we've got to get ready in, in the staff. But we decided that, um, you know, Christmas falls on a Sunday. And that's, what's it been, six or seven years ago that was the last time that happened. We always wonder, you know, um, people have family coming in. Everybody's, you know, little kids, especially they've got little kids, they're, you know, tearing open packages and all that. And so I think the last time um, that we had Christmas fall on a Sunday, um, I don't think we had a service, and I think we might have. I can't remember what we did. But what we're planning to do this Christmas is we're going to go ahead and record some music and record um, kind of a, it would be more of a devotional than a sermon sermon. Um, You know, we were talking today about it. Maybe I could look kind of like Jimmy Carter and, you know, wear a big thick cardigan and and sit next to a, you know, electric fire thing and, and you know. Uh, but anyway, we're going to put together that and we're going to both record it and put it on the website, but we'll also run it at 10, or 10 o'clock or 10, whenever a normal service time would normally be um, so that people can either watch it with their family and I know little children opening fire trucks and stuff like that. To see me on the screen, they'll stop playing with all their toys, and they'll want to, you know, they'll want to tune in. Um, <clears throat> they'll they'll be mesmerized. Um, anyway, so that's the plan. We won't be here, but we're going to record a little service, and then we, you can either play it whenever you want. Uh, it'll be recorded, but we'll live stream it at service time. Okay. All right, well, um, yeah, we'll still have the regular. Christmas Eve is 3.30 and 5, those two services. Um, and we've made a radical change this year that's really going to foul people up. Instead of the little flat piece of paper that you stick the um, candle through and every kid in the place tilts it to light you know, and dumps wax uh, all over the place. We're, we're getting um, ones that have a kind of a little plastic cup. Um, and so I think Pam's uh, idea is you, you don't throw them away. You, it, we'll just put them on, you know, you pick them up off the tables when you come. You just put them back. And we'll, I think we always get new candles, but we'll save those little plastic cups. And that, honestly, the janitors will sometimes, literally, they'll be into February, and I'm not making that up, trying to get wax out of the carpet or the fabric of the chairs. So this, we think, will help a little bit with that. So it's a major thing you're going to have to adapt to. Okay, well, let's pray. Um, Then we'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, thank you for the Bible. And there's much in it, Lord, that 
we don't have all the answers to. It is intriguing, it's captivating, and Lord, we're grateful that it is a light to our path, it illuminates our minds, and it exalts us. And when we believe it and take it into our hearts, we literally, Jesus said, live by it. So thank you for the opportunity to study it. I pray that you would go with us this evening, keep us safe, watch over both our lives, our bodies, and our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you are dismissed. <laughs>